Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel, joined as always by my co-hosts, Mike Popovic, Pat Donahue. Um... We got a Maryland win to talk about, another one, 2-0 on the season. A little bit of a slow start for the Terps. Not exactly what we would have liked to see necessarily, but a short week this week. They're playing Virginia on Friday night, another primetime game, and their biggest competition to date. So, Mike, I want to start with you. You've had a couple days to sit on the game. It was a strange feeling sitting there. Terps get down 14-0 early. Within the first five minutes, they're down four. Really, within the first four minutes, they're down fourteen nothing. A blown coverage on the back end from Jaquan Shepard results in uh, a touchdown for Charlotte, and then a pick six on the ensuing pass from Talia Tungavailoa results in another touchdown for Charlotte. So they're down fourteen nothing early. The offense has a slow start, down uh, just 15 total yards in the first quarter, negative two until the final play of the first quarter, and they fail to get in the end zone in the first half. Second quarter, they moved the ball better. So, Mike, just after you've gotten a chance to sit on this game for a couple days, what is your final verdict from this game, and how worried should we be about Maryland's performance in the first quarter? Well, it was unnerving early on, and I think one of the things is with Talia Tungabailoa at this point, you didn't expect the interception there. Although, to be fair, the defender made a nice play. He baited him there. That will happen from time to time. Uh, but that that added salt in the wound, and that's coming from you know your best player on the field. So that's what kind of hurt there. But in terms of them loading up and running the football down Maryland's throat early on, I mean, we expected that that would be the game plan. And then, of course, they would use the quarterback in a zone read type situation. Now, the fact that Maryland knew it was coming and couldn't stop it, you know, that was very concerning. And then the offense with a turnover, the only good thing at that time was that we knew that there was plenty of football still to be played, but that you were concerned, is this defensive front seven going to be able to stop you know, Charlotte, are they just going to keep pounding, pounding, pounding? With that kind of success, you've got to think at some point they'll be able to take some shots downfield, even though wide receiver is not one of their strong points. So, you know, ultimately, though, to their credit, I mean, they they fought back. It was gritty, and then they completely turned this game on a 180. To answer your question about how concerned uh, yeah, there is a bit of concern because they knew defensively it was coming, and yet they couldn't stop it early on. But they did ultimately step up and stop the bleeding. Again, six of those points were from the offense, not from them. So maybe that number makes it look more worse than it was. But clearly against a better team that can run the football, say like a Michigan, like a Penn State, both teams have two of the rest, best running backs in, the, uh, in college football. Yeah, that will be a concern as the opponents get better. But to their credit, Maryland did what they needed to do to stem the tide, turn it around, and then they really got things rolling by the time the end of the game and, and the final whistle. Yeah, Pat, I, I mean, uh, at least for me, after sitting on this game for a little bit, it was a bad first few minutes, but really the rest of the game 
with the exception of the offense not being able to get in the end zone in the second quarter, the rest of the game was pretty dominant. Late touchdown by Charlotte against the backups, not really worried about that. But yeah. where do you kind of sit with this? Is it a little better than how you felt five minutes into the game? Uh, yes, but it really I didn't really come around to that point um, until actually, believe it or not, last night's horrific Sunday night football game. <laughs> When you saw how quickly a bad start, and when I say bad start, it doesn't mean just like coming out flat as a team. Sometimes you sometimes you could have the best coach team, have the best players, uh, come out with a great game plan, come out, you know, focused, all that stuff, but the ball doesn't bounce your way, and all of a sudden you find yourself down two scores, which sometimes seems insurmountable in football. You see what happens when a team gets hit in the mouth like that and can't recover, uh, like the Giants, and it turns into a total uh, mess for them. Um, and you could argue, you know, maybe Daniel Jones or, or their personnel aren't the type of players to to do that. Um, but it gave me great hope for the Terps and what I saw from them this weekend because very similar outcome for them. I mean, not that Charlotte has anywhere near the talent or even, you know, the type of competitive competitiveness with Maryland that, you know, Dallas would have with the New York Giants. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm saying from a Charlotte perspective, you couldn't ask for a better start. Get every, you know, thing going right, playing calling on offense, get that pick six, uh, very uncharacteristic pick six from Tua, or sorry, Talia um, in, the, in the first drive. You're up two scores. Maryland, the only way they possibly lose to a team that they're, you know, 20, what was it, 2, 24, whatever the final spread was, that yeah. big of a favorite against, is if they let a start like that completely snowball and continue to turn the ball over and continue to make mental mistakes uh, like we saw last night. Um, so I'm actually quite proud of, you know, obviously the whole first half was a disaster. And I remember thinking to myself at halftime is if it, I really think the only way they can come into this game or get back in this game is physically impose themselves on Charlotte, run the ball down their throat and just try and physically beat them up for a half and see how, see, you know, what it uh, amounts to. Um, and whatever the coaches, you know, said at halftime, whatever adjustments they made, it really seemed to make a difference. They looked like a different team in the second half. They did pretty much what I was hoping they would do and just fed Roman Hemby. Um, and, and he obviously proved to be the best guy on the field. Um, the defense, you know, looked good for most of the game. Um, they're, they're still a pretty solid unit as you would expect in this matchup. Um, so yeah, I, after Saturday was pretty discouraged because even though they turned it around and pulled out the win, I was just thinking, you know, not what you want from a team that's supposed to be taking steps forward. Um, and, but now, you know, that resiliency that if they can angle that the right way and the coaching staff can use that to their advantage, um, you know, I think it's something to be said about taking a, uh, a motivated team's best shot and keeping your composure and, and dominating them for, the majority of the game. Yeah, Mike, I, I, we talked last week about, you know, Charlotte, the majority of their talent and their size defensively is in their front seven. They got a lot of transfers, a few from Maryland along that front seven. The question marks for them were in the secondary. Really bad pass defense last season. They lost a lot of guys from that bad unit coming into this season. So we were talking about, you know, another big day for Talia throwing the ball. But really what Maryland was able to do, and especially as Pat mentioned in the second half, was run the ball. And this offensive line, which had so many questions and still has questions um, heading into this season for Maryland, 
they were able to open massive holes uh, for Roman Hemby to run through. Roman Hemby, 24 touches, 217 total yards and a touchdown, 243 team rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns. That's a performance that I don't know if we even expected against Charlotte. But, I mean, how encouraging is that to see heading into a game, and we'll talk about Virginia, but a really bad run defense? It's encouraging, but at the beginning of the broadcast, uh, I know on NBC they talked about the fact that two of their starting defensive linemen did not were not going in that game, and then they had a couple more defensive linemen get hurt in that game. So, True. And Maryland can only play against who's out there, and so the offensive line can only block who's in front of them. So while it was encouraging that it was a dominating performance because it should, and given the fact that it wasn't so dominating the week before, yes, against an FCS Towson team, but against a defensive line that had some pretty good beef in the trenches, actually on both the offensive and defensive side, the fact that they took care of business here, that was a good thing. Certainly Delmar Glaze looked really good uh, on the left side there. We know, though, again, Gottlieb uh, Ayeje did not play at right tackle. Connor Fagan got the start there, uh, the local kid out of Gonzaga. So, yeah, they did what they were supposed to do, but it would have been interesting to see with Charlotte's starters or most of their starters in there rotating, you know, how would they have done at that point? And we just, we just won't know that. Um, but, again, you can only play who is out there. Yeah, Pat, I think once one – Good thing that did come out of the passing game was Caden Prather had a breakout game for Maryland. Four catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Should have had another 32 yards and a touchdown if not for that phantom pass interference call. That offensive pass interference. I mean, one of the worst calls of the weekend, I think, uh, overall, just kind of watching what I had seen. Um, But what impressed you the most about his performance? I mean, he's a big guy, what, 6'1", 6'2", but really fast, too. Yeah, I, I'm impressed with his overall just athleticism and kind of body control, his ability to track the ball in the air and, and you know, get his body in a position to make a play on it, um, better a better play than the defender. Um, so, I um, yeah, I, I didn't write down a ton of notes from watching the game, but one of the few notes I wrote down was how impressed I was with Caden Prather um, and also how bad that offensive pass interference call was. It was – that was, uh, uh, you know, just astonishing. But – I mean, there were uh, it really there were a couple times in that game where you saw Talia really trust it going downfield to Prather, and I think he's going to be that guy that Talia can count on. You know, kind of the big play guy, not necessarily because I mean he is fast, but not necessarily because he's a speedster, or the fastest guy on the team or in the receiving core. He's probably one of the fastest, but just because he's the guy, like I had said, can make the play on the ball and make sure it's not going to get intercepted one way or another. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like what I see out of Caden Prather. I think he looks like one of our top talents on offense so far this year. Yeah, and Mike, another good day for Corey Deitches. It seems like defenses are really going to have their hands full this season. Do they want to defend the outside passes to guys like Prather and Jay Sean Jones? Do they want to clog the middle and take away stuff from Deitches? And then you've got Roman Hemby, who had a big day catching the ball out of the backfield. So for Talia, really the way I see it, it comes down to pass protection, and I still was not impressed with what I saw. You mentioned Connor Fagan way too many times. Talia is running for his life, and Fagan is standing around with nobody to block. And there's, it's going to be important to get Ayedze back. I think he was dressed for the game, but he didn't start. He wasn't really warming up at the ones or the twos. So we'll see what happens this week against Virginia. A good pass defense for Virginia so far this season. But 
for the future, as long as they can get this line shored up, which hopefully happens, there's a ton of good weapons that defenses are going to have issues with. We talked last week, though, about tight ends who will be blocking, and that's going to likely have to be a part of the formations that we're seeing that if the line does not hold up for Talia, they're going to have to make those kind of adjustments where you've got a tight end in that's blocking. But I wanted to touch upon that, though, on the opposite side of from a receiving standpoint. You're absolutely right. Deitch is another big game, and it's great to see him emerge at the same time, let's not forget they do have two other talented tight ends, Enrico Walker and Preston Howard. And, in fact, I think it was Howard who was uh, the intended receiver, or maybe it was, uh, I'm sorry, it was the Charlotte defender. Preston Howard's uh, man was the Charlotte defender that intercepted that ball for the pick six. But they've got two other guys there that, boy, you already talk about a, a pretty healthy receiving core. If those guys get into the mix at a one point, um, you know, you really talk about a lot of weapons, but guys, as you know, it really does start up front and we can talk about all the outside weapons we want, but if there's not the protection there, there's issues and look, yes, you can get rid of the ball quick, but there's only so many horizontal throws you can make before teams are going to get up on that. And you've got to be able to go vertical and that's where the offensive line's got to hold up. And yeah, Connor Fagan cannot be the right tackle to start for this team. I'm not sure he should even be the backup with all due respect to him. There were some other injuries on the offensive line in terms of depth coming into that game that Steve Suter was talking about. It's a good thing Fagan played the entire game because we would have been in trouble at right tackle if he had gone down. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I know they're still working out who their primary blocking tight end is going to be, but you may need to keep somebody in on that right side to chip just to help out Fagan because if, if this goes on much longer, they're going to be in trouble, especially as you get into Big Ten play. Um, yeah. Switching over the, to the defensive side, you know, like I mentioned, Shaquan Shepard, that blown coverage on one of the first plays in the game results in a big touchdown for Charlotte. Other than that, though, they did a decent job after those first couple drives. Once they figured out what Charlotte wanted to do, which was we're scared to throw the ball, we're just going to run it every down. Jalen Jones, their quarterback, had a 48-yard run, but otherwise they were able to keep most things in front of them with the exception of that run and then the big big pass play. And Pat, two for ten. Berlin has so down. much to offer. Staying in a room at Joanna's gave me a feeling of what it could actually look like. That's a nice ad break. Yeah, are we getting paid for that? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. So I don't little, know where that came from. <laughs> so free ad. But anyway, uh, I was just going to say, Pat, two for ten on third down for Maryland's yeah. defense. Uh, so if you're if you're looking for for reasons to feel positive, that is one there that they were able to keep most things in front of them and get off the field on third down. Yeah, and that's a you know that's an important stat any week, but it's certainly a, a two for ten line is kind of what you expect um, given the talent disparity and also against a very one dimensional offense that can't pick up a uh, a third and long you know through the air. So um, you know, kind of similar to what I said last week after the Towson game, it's very tough in these non conference inferior opponent matchups uh, to gauge how you know good or bad the offense. Well. You could certainly gauge if they're doing poorly against these teams, uh, the defense. But it's it's tough to see, like, you know, how is this going to translate over to better competition? But what I can take away certainly is, um, you know, other than kind of that some of those early bigger plays and and the one blown coverage, they definitely made the adjustments to uh, dominate the rest of the game. And obviously, knowing what Charlotte wanted to do, they they implemented a game plan to stop that. So that's all you can really ask of them to do. Um, 
you know, again, they, you know, it'd be nice to see maybe a couple more turnovers uh, from them uh, against an inferior opponent. Um, and then also, I mean, the, the, um, I just I'm just not seeing it from the pass rush honestly right now. I mean I know that's been a, a an issue for a couple years now, but it just doesn't seem like especially against now Towson. Mike brought up a good point. Like Towson had a beefy line, so I thought maybe okay they weren't expecting such a such a big offensive line. And then this game, okay, maybe it was because Charlotte was just running the ball so much and wearing them down. All of this makes sense. So I I, I have to make a a better assessment when they pay, you know face some different competition, but. I just don't know if I see a premier pass rusher in this front seven, or at least along the defensive line. Um, and that's a bit concerning for me because we're going to have to get pressure on some big 10 quarterbacks. Yeah, no doubt. And I think one thing that may have affected that as well last week was the fact that Jalen Jones, dual threat quarterback, you right. don't want to really pin your ears back and rush him all the time. Right. He had the ability and you saw it on multiple occasions to get out and make something happen with his feet. Yep. But yeah, I mean, look, this team is, they lost both of their starting outside linebackers from last season. They're looking for who their guys are going to be there. You're going to see Barham there a little bit. And he guys had like yeah. guys like Neo. Yeah, true. Yeah. He's definitely a, a playmaker that can get to the quarterback Barham. Um, but it's just, you know, outside of him, I'm just, I don't know. But, you know, they're still looking for, for who their guys are going to be. And you hope that by this week and especially by next week, They've figured that out because you do need to need to figure that out before you go into Big Ten play. And you may see a more traditional quarterback under center for Virginia this week. Right. And, and to your point, Avery uh, was in street clothes for week one. I don't think yeah. he, I know he didn't play week two either. So they're waiting. I don't think they know when he's going to be ready yet to come back. Um and then also, it sounds like, too, he's also figuring out this defense a little bit. So there's a couple of things, I think, physically and mentally going on, uh, you know, with that there. But I'll just say to your point about the defense and, and uh, what they did in the secondary. And you think about it, you know, that was a blown assignment, touchdown, the pick six, you know, self-inflicted wounds there that you're just making it easier for those guys to be able to, you know, have uh, – have success. So again, th those are correctable things there. But outside of the Mac touchdown, when you take a look, the longest passes that they gave up were of uh, of 16 yards. Yeah, they had a few big ones down the field that ended up getting reviewed and overturned for for drops that were a little close. But yeah, one other final note I'll I'll make is is Jack Howes was impressive at kicker. We talked last week about you know there might be a competition. He missed his only field goal last week. It was a long one, but hit a forty five yarder. Two other ones uh, against Charlotte. So and they look good coming off his foot straight everything. So thank you. That's a good sign. Uh, Chad Ryland. We saw him in the NFL yesterday with with the Patriots. So. Um, need to find a replacement, and hopefully Jack houses that. But let's move on and talk about Virginia. As I mentioned earlier, short week. It's a Friday night game, another primetime game on national television, and their biggest uh, competition to date. Uh, their only Power 5 school that they're facing in the non-conference. Virginia's 0-2. They lost to Tennessee in a big matchup week one. They also lost to James Madison last week at home. Um, Tony Elliott is their head coach. He was at Clemson for a long time. He was at Virginia for a first time last year. Um, just three wins last year. They did have to cancel their last two games after the, uh, the shooting on campus. Um, so just looking at them over the first two weeks of this season, offensively, 
They really want to throw the ball. They have been really bad at running the ball. And defensively, they've been better against the pass and really bad against the run. So, Mike, what does that tell you about Virginia and how Maryland should be preparing themselves going into this game? Well, I mean, Pat talks about pass rush. I mean, it's a perfect opportunity here. Virginia's going to want to throw the football around to do just that. Now, maybe Virginia saw some things that Charlotte was able to do that you may see Virginia as well, though, seeing those rushing stats and saying, well, look, we may want to throw the football, but we got to be a little bit better running the football as well. We're 0-2. You know, we've got to try to do some things there. At the same time, Virginia, I think ultimately they're going to try to go with what they ultimately want to do um, at 0-2 to try to salvage things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you're Maryland, uh, ultimately you want to have a good pass rush and, and you want to find continue to find those guys. You hope you don't have to blitz as much. Um, but we have seen the secondary, to, to everybody's point here, it, it doing a good job of keeping things in front of them and not giving up the big chunk plays. So that'll be, you know, that'll be important here not to give them too much confidence in the passing game and, uh, again, hopefully we'll see that pass rush from them. I, I guess we do have to be careful, though, to be fair. When we look at these statistics, though, that loss to Tennessee week one, that's a top 15 team. Yeah. So that skews things. I mean, if they had played somebody half as good, what would these stats look like right now? Uh, because to be fair, you know, Maryland would have a, a very tough time against the Tennessee team themselves. Maybe not as tough at Virginia. But so, you know, these numbers, you got to you gotta kind of be uh, – you got to take them with somewhat with a grain of salt, not entirely here. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's hope some guys emerge on that line and have themselves a game. Yeah, Pat. I mean, to to Mike's point, we really don't know much about either team based on their opponents so far right. this season. But how much do you think we're going to know about Maryland after this game? Um, I think you'll know a little bit more. Um, you know, it's I, I don't view this as a huge step up in competition, but it certainly is a step up in competition, uh, at least by a little bit. Um, and Mike brought up a great point. I think we'll at least know a lot more about the pass rush and the ability to defend the pass, since that's, you know, definitely what Virginia is going to come in and try and do. And we haven't seen that from the last two opponents. So it'll, that'll actually be a nice kind of breath of fresh air because it's, it's like the one side of this team that we haven't really got to see at all on um, these first two weeks. So from that perspective, after this third week and having three games, a three game sample size, we might have a more holistic picture of, you know, what this Terps team really is like. Um, again, you know, when they get in there against uh, a, a, you know, legit big 10 opponent and that size and that athleticism, that's when we'll really find out um, because I'm not loving what I'm seeing from either side of the line right now. And that can, I mean, we have the skilled players, but it's always been an issue in the trenches for Maryland. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that they can dominate the Virginia offensive and defensive lines, but that's where I'll be. That's where my, the majority of my focus will be during the game is to see, you know, have they made improvements? How's Caleb Fagan looking? How, um, you know, how is that pass rush getting home? Um, and then, yeah, I mean, from a, from a game plan perspective, because I knew you were asking like what the game plan should be. It sounds like we should be giving them a heavy dose of Roman Hemby again. Hopefully he's not too tired from that uh, awesome second half last week. Yeah. To, to me, this game is really important to finish the non-conference with a little bit more of a positive note. It's hard to feel super positive about the Charlotte performance because it wasn't as dominant as you would have hoped for the entire game. So now heading into this game, it's an opportunity to really finish your non-conference 
finish your first three home games before you go on the road with a positive taste in your mouth. You get an extra day to prepare for Michigan State and not to look too far ahead, but that program is an absolute mess right now. Yeah. Mel Tucker not going to be on the sidelines. I guess he's going to be fired at some point once this Title IX investigation is over, but it always feels like it's something with Michigan State the last few years as, uh, with their athletic department as a whole, and this is going to be no, no exception. So, Mike, how important is that for them to finish this game on a positive note heading into that game? Well, certainly, and you don't want to look ahead to that and make yeah. any assumptions. Mark D'Antonio is coming back. I think that's a highly questionable move, but we could save that for <laughs> next week. I think two things, though, that stand out, and Pat, you're not wrong about wanting to get Hemby a healthy dose there, but I think two things we got to consider, or at least one big thing we got to consider, though, is that assuming that coming into this game, and again, we take a look at right tackle, hopefully, uh, you know, Ayeje will be back for this one, but you're going to want to have the guys that you're going to be going into conference play with, the, the, the settled starters. You're going to want these guys to have a full non-conference game together under their belt. So while you have a game plan to want to attack the team in front of you, at the same time, I still think that there's something to be said. And, and maybe, again, this implies probably more so the offensive line than any other position because they, you know, it traditionally they're going to rotate a lot of wide receivers in and out because of the depth and to some extent on defense with the various defensive packages to match up against the offense. But you're going to want to see the Terps, even if running the football is the best way to go, you're going to still want to see them pass a fair amount because you want to get, you want this offensive line to work as a cohesive unit, build some chemistry and continuity before that first big 10 game at Michigan state. So I, I think that you know they're going to want to be somewhat balanced in that approach. Once the game or they feel is somewhat in hand, you know, they may throw the football a little bit more than you would expect because they need to get that work in. Yeah, it was interesting to me. Not only did you see Roman Hemby, you saw a little bit more of Colby McDonald than I think we may have expected. And he, he opened, yeah. some nice holes opened for him, and he was able to take advantage of that. So mm-hmm. having a third back, you know, it's interesting we haven't seen Ramon Brown yet. Um, that's been interesting to me. I don't know if he's dealing with some sort of an injury that we haven't heard about or if he's just that buried on the depth chart, but we really haven't seen him. It's been all Hemby and Littleton and then last week, McDonald. So that'll be interesting going into this Virginia game, see how that the uh, the running back snaps shake out, especially after Hemby got all those snaps last week. Um, Maryland opens as 14-point favorites against Virginia. The line really started at 13.5. It went up half a point, not really sure why. Um Maryland leads the all-time series. They've obviously played Virginia a lot. Uh, they're 44-32-2 and 32 and two against Virginia. Uh, they won their last two matchups, 2012-2013. Perry Hills and Caleb Rowe, the quarterbacks in those ones, respectively. Uh, Stefan Diggs played in both of those games. So that's how long it's been since Maryland's played Virginia. Pat, I'll start with you. Does Maryland beat Virginia? And another question, do they cover? Yeah, well, first I'll mention, uh, I think I called Connor Fagan Caleb Fagan in the, my last answer because uh, I'm looking at your notes and I'm l- reading Caleb Rowe's name over and over. Ah, because I couldn't yeah. I couldn't help but uh, <laughs> I, I remember that game in 2013. And, like, I just can't believe it was 10 years ago. It blows CJ, my mind. CJ Brown was hurt. He was all banged up for that one. So Caleb yep. Rowe stepped in and led him to the one the one point win. I think it was 27-26. That was like Caleb Rowe's like big man on campus. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Rowe Ro, was a much better passer, but he was erratic. I mean, he, yeah. he, was, he was certainly good for some interceptions, too. That was yeah. Wild. 
Re- really nice kid, though. I remember uh, covering him. He was one of the uh, just nicer guys to talk to off record about whatever. But uh, is he anyway, still a grad it, assistant with the pro- he was he was a grad assistant for a while with the last program. I checked, but I haven't looked at the grad assistants honestly in, in quite a bit of this year at all. So that's a good question. I'm gonna check into that after this. Um, but I um, to answer to go back to your original question, this is a tough one because honestly, like. A, I hate picking football games against the spread, period. Like, what I don't know anything compared to these Vegas guys that are handicapping these games. So, clearly, they think Maryland is about a two touchdown team, better team than Virginia. After what I've seen the first two weeks, especially last week, it's a little hard for me to think of Maryland as a two touchdown, the fact that they're two touchdowns better than almost any Power Five team. Um, so, my gut is telling me that they don't cover but it's really tough because i really don't have much faith in this virginia team either to come in here and and do much so like i really i don't think i think maryland is going to use the beginning of that charlotte game that first half of that charlotte game is a bit of a wake-up call and clean a few things up um but i think with the lack of discipline we're seeing right now the penalties still continuing for maryland and the fact that just the offensive and defensive lines have so many questions i i can't pick them to beat anyone um you know that's a little bit better than charlotte even more by by two scores or by two touchdowns so um yeah i'll say they probably come close but win by like you know 12, 13, something, something like that. Mike, what do you and, think? No, I, I think they will cover. I think they will cover it. And I understand where Pat's coming from. And and you certainly would hope a team like this would use that start against Charlotte. Um, and, and, you know, one thing that is surprising last week, guys, is that you knew Charlotte was going to come in hyped up. You knew that they were going to run the football and try to run it strong down your th- They They knew all that. And, and I don't know why they came out lethargic. You saw it on special teams, too, on the kickoff with the fumble. And it, it just – and then you had the interception and you had the blown coverage. And, I, I you know, I, I know Loxley had to be telling them, look, you, they they already knew about the amount of guys that were from the state of Maryland, some who had transferred from the program. And that that's what is a head-scratcher to me. And, and that may be the most concerning thing is, is not – what happened on the field in terms of the X's and O's or, or that, but just the mentality before the kickoff even started, like why, you know, why weren't you up for this game more? It's nationally televised, but again, to their credit, they did a 180. but Zach, uh, long answer to try to shorten it down. Yeah. I think they will cover and they better cover, you know, that you know, if, they, if they have another lackadaisical game like this against a non-conference opponent, uh, then we, then we need to be worried, but yeah, they absolutely should come out and take care of business. Uh, Friday night lights, the college edition here, uh, so yeah, I, I believe that they'll uh, they'll take care of business in this one. Yeah, I think final note for me to wrap up Charlotte. Maryland really made like three big mistakes in that game. To, uh, two of them resulted in touchdowns. How often is that really going to happen? You know, especially your first two mistakes. The uh, the third being Talia throwing that interception in the in the end zone later in the game. But that's kind of the way I see it. It could have. If not for those two resulting in immediate touchdowns, it probably feels like a very different game. But you also can't start like that against anybody else on your schedule or you're going to get blown out. So my gut says they probably don't cover, but they win by like 13 and it feels like they win by more. The only reason they don't cover is because they're running the ball so much and they're running so much clock. That's what I'm going to say. Like a a backdoor cover by Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like Virginia gets a late 
field goal or something I, like that. I mean, yeah. I could even see a scenario where we boat race them early because we come out Friday night game at home, motivated from a slow start last week. We come out and we jump up by like 20 plus or even close to third. Like we were just dominating them. And then second half backups come in and they start. Virginia gets a couple late touchdowns and it's all of a sudden a, a 14 point game or like a 13 point game late or something. I, I could definitely see that scenario playing out. But best yeah. part is we get to see. Yeah, energy should be high. Hopefully, they're not too affected by the short week. They're young. They can recover pretty quickly. Um, Helps no the home team. It, that's true. It does. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling bullish about this one. And, and maybe right. since I'm good. going to the game, I'm feeling bullish. I think they'll be good. You know, and, and the last point, even though it was self-inflicted, guys, I will say, though, that they did show a lot of maturity by the defense digging in, getting a couple of stops, allowing the offense to work through their issues, and then again turning the table. So even though it was self-inflicted, um, I liked what I saw with them battling that adversity and getting it back on track and then just full steam ahead. And by the end of the game, it was clear that Maryland had turned around and really dominated that after the first quarter. So, um, you know, I, I'll look at that glass half full, even though certainly any concerns are, are warranted. Yeah, if you're going to get punched in the mouth by anybody, probably a good thing it was Charlotte. And uh, <laughs> I think Talia showed a lot of maturity. We've seen him get in his own head a lot the last few years, and he could have easily done that after that first pick six. But you saw him on the sideline hyping up his guys, um, and he was really just calm for most of the game. So whether that has to do with the opponent, but hopefully they take this as a learning opportunity. Coaches probably loved it uh, because it gives them a lot of, uh, a lot of food for thought. For the team and a lot of things to rip into them on this week during practice so hopefully we see all of that work come to fruition on friday night mm -hmm. hope everybody enjoys the game join the conversation on the message boards baltimoresportsandlife.com we've all got articles up be sure to check those out i'll have my game preview up probably on wednesday this week because of the friday game and follow us on twitter at talking turfs bsl uh until next week i'm zach kiesel from my co-host mike popovic pat donahue roll turps <laughs>